Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Animals to the Max podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the show. Folks, we have such an exciting show today. We are going to the land of Australia. I'll tell you what, I absolutely love when we have our Australian guests on. I think it's because I wish I had their cool accents. Maybe it's because I wish I had some of their wildlife in my backyard. I don't know. I just absolutely love our Australia shows. And it turns out a good portion of the listenership of the Animals to the Max podcast actually is from Australia. So I'll let you know. All my Australian people, you are going to definitely love today's show. On the show, I have Ozzy underscore wild. Well, that is his handle on Instagram. Obviously, that's not his birth name. I have Lachlan, and Lachlan is an awesome, awesome guest. He is a wildlife enthusiast. He currently runs the Aussie Wild Instagram page where he goes out at the Australian bush and works with a variety of different animals, exotic reptiles. He handles venomous snakes. He rescues kangaroos and, you know, baby joeys off the side of the road. He swims with platypus. You guys, this guy is awesome. I had such a good time speaking with him. We talk about the venomous snakes in Australia. We talk about his encounters and you will find out if you listen to the show what the world's most venomous snake is and you're going to be shocked. You are going to be shocked when you learn about the snake because it's not what you would think the most venomous snake would be like. That's all I'm going to say. So make sure you stay tuned. We Also talk about, near the end of the episode, his work with Tasmanian devils and what's going on with the devil facial tumor disease, which is uh, really wiping out populations of Tassie devils. He actually worked to help save some, so he has great stories with that. Okay, so I'm going to be honest with you guys. I know I always say this. These past few podcasts, I've been really promoting our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash animals to the max. I'll tell you what. I highly, highly, highly recommend joining our Patreon because we have an awesome, awesome after show. We literally, Lachlan and I talk for over a half an hour in the after show. We didn't even mean to go over. We just talked and had such a good time and we exchanged stories. And he was asking me the type of animals that I care for. And he was asking me the type of animals that are you know, in the U.S. pet industry. And, you know, he goes into how difficult it is to actually even own a pet snake in Australia. It was so fascinating to just exchange stories. And we just, oh, it was so awesome to talk to him. So I encourage you, join us at the after show. Literally, the plans start at just $10 a month. So for like, what, two cups of Starbucks coffee, you can help support the show. This is self-funded. So uh, it honestly, all the money goes towards the web hosting fees, new equipment. It's just, like I said, this has been a labor of love. So if you are listening to the show and you find value, consider joining our Patreon and you get access to bonus episodes. This is a good bonus episode you do not want to miss. I will include the links in the show notes, but once again, that is patreon.com slash animals to the max. With that said, let's get to it. Let's go down under. Please welcome to the show, Ozzy Wilds Lachlan. 
Lachlan, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me, Corbin. Nice to finally meet you. It's so nice to meet you. And I'm a fan of yours on Instagram. And somebody was really persistent on trying to get you on the show. Oh, really? Who was that? I, you know what? I, I know this sounds so bad. Um, it was way back in my DMs, but she pitched you, I think, three or four times to get you on the Animals to the Max podcast. Wow. Sounds like I've got a fan out there somewhere. <laughs> Either that or do you have a sister? I don't know. <laughs> no, kidding. no, definitely not. I'm totally kidding. Uh, no, I'm so excited. I love following your content. I love watching your videos and I love talking to people from Australia and you just live a complete different world. So I am so excited to talk to you today. Yeah, it's crazy over here at the moment, to be honest with you. Yeah. It's the change of season. So um, all the wildlife starting to go back to sleep, but it's all right. There's still a few things there. Oh, so it's actually winter time right now? Or no, uh, it's, summer? It's just going into autumn now, yeah. Autumn. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. How cold does it get there? Not that cold, really. So probably like a cold winter's day would be 14. Okay. Wow. Okay. And that's in Celsius. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. So, oh God, maybe 30 something. I, I'm not too sure with Fahrenheit. Me neither. Um, no worries. And where are you located in Australia? So I live in Sydney. So smack bang on the coast. Oh, Beautiful man. place to live, really. There's so much going on around here. Yeah, it's beautiful. And audience, I'll put your uh, your Instagram in the show notes. But man, I'm just digging your Instagram. You're, I mean, you're playing with shinglebacks, you know, lizards, bearded dragons, echidnas, you know, <laughs> red belly black snakes. Like, man, it is. I mean, have you always just been surrounded by animals your whole life? Ah, uh, yeah, man. I've I've always been interested in wildlife. Like, it's been a a passion of mine since I was, you know, like everyone else, maybe like. I think I came out with a lizard in my hand, to be honest with you. <laughs> I'm going to start used to that. That's awesome. <laughs> That's great. And so what do you currently do? Are you just like working with wildlife full time or give my audience just a little background? Okay. So at the moment I have a full-time job during the week. Uh-huh. Um, during summer, every day I'll be out night driving. So I basically work during the day, night drive at night, looking for snakes. Um, and I've, the last few months, well, actually, the last few years, I've been filming videos for Aussie Wild. So I've been traveling the country, just catching whatever snakes, whatever wildlife I can come across and basically show the viewers, um, you know, maybe just to better to give them a better understanding about what Australia has to offer. Um, a lot of people in Australia, if you haven't noticed or heard, they're actually very scared of snakes and reptiles and that type of thing. And it goes back to the, like the same sort of stuff. Um, a good snake is a dead snake or, you know, kill it. You know, they just don't like snakes. And I, I'm not sure why, but um, yeah, I try and discourage that and try and educate them. That's great. And so I'm assuming was a huge role model growing up, Steve Irwin. Uh, yeah, definitely. When I was a kid, Steve Irwin was really cool. Um, he passed away when I was about 14. I remember I was in year nine and I heard about it at school. So I was already well and truly into wildlife back then. Yeah. 14 years old. I think I was six, I, th I think 16 years old. So I'm just a couple of years. So are, are you 28, 29 years old? Uh, yeah. 30 this year, actually. 30 this year. Oh, welcome to the 30 club, by the way. Oh, I'm not looking forward to it, but what can you do? <laughs> yeah. You can't do it. Yeah. I can't do anything. So you grew up just, it's weird. I didn't realize that that many people were terrified 
of snakes in Australia. I feel like people, I mean, because of the crocodile hunter, I mean, his videos have been seen by billions of people. You'd think that there would be a better maybe understanding of, you know, the wildlife. I would like to think so, but it's, it's not really the case. Like my Aussie wild videos have given me a pretty strong following in my own area. So I can't even go up to like a pub or a restaurant without getting harassed about, you know, some sort of snake or wildlife related question. Um, but yeah, other than that, like most people are just confused. They're really scared. Um, mm-hmm. Brown snakes, venomous, any venomous snake, they just don't like them at all. Yeah, so let's talk about this because Australia is home to the deadliest terrestrial snakes on the planet. Can we talk about the snakes that are in your backyard? Okay, yeah, totally. Um, So the last few weeks I've been down in um, Jarvis Bay, which is south coast of New South Wales. So that's Mm -hmm. the state that I live in. Um, And I film at a swamp there. And at this particular swamp, on a single lap, which is maybe one kilometre, you can come into maybe 20 to 30 red belly black snakes. Like I've found five brown snakes on that lap. And you can even find pythons and echidnas and that type of thing. Like this is just in a small swamp. And it's just crazy how many snakes you come across. That's amazing. And what is the, I mean, are you ever nervous when you're working with these animals? Or like, did you have any professional training? Yeah, totally. So, um, I did all the snake, um, like the venomous snake handling courses. So I did that through a professional company. Um, besides working with snakes since I was probably a toddler. Um, yeah, I, I went to uni. I did a Bachelor of Marine and Environmental Science. I worked for Sydney Snake Catchers. I've done a lot of volunteer work on uh, the Broadheaded Snake Research Program. I've done flatback turtle tagging, Tasmanian devil devil facial tumor disease. I've done a lot of stuff like along the way. Um, but I think most of the experience comes firsthand from being out in the bush, just catching the snakes yourself. Yeah. Do you remember the first snake, the first venomous snake you ever caught as a kid? How old were you? Yeah, this is actually quite a good story. I think, um, so I'm lucky cause I've got a brother who's 32. So he was only a couple years you know, older than me. So mm-hmm. we actually got along and got into reptiles at about the same time. Um, so we were down in Melbourne. I don't know if you know where that is, Victoria. South, right? South, yes, yeah, south from Sydney. Um, and we were out looking for, well, snakes in the grasslands because we were just hooked on it from a young age. Um, and basically we flipped a rock and found two little whip snakes. So that's Parasuta flagellum. And they were under these two rocks sorry, under one rock, two snakes. So me and my brother got one each. So we're holding one snake each. And then at the time, my brother had a cast on, he had broken this arm. Uh And my mum told him to pose for a photo. And as he posed for the photo, it bit him on the other finger. (laughs) So as much as it was only a mildly venomous snake, my mum was freaking out. So we had to pressure bandage his arm. Um, We whizzed him off to the hospital and he went in looking like this with two crooked arms. (laughs) <laughs> and the nurse said, what snake bit him? And I had put them both into a Coke bottle. Mm. So I've literally shown the nurse. I said it was these two. They're little whip snakes. And the um, the doctor had no idea what to do. Like if it was a brown snake, my brother probably wouldn't have been alive today. Like they took hours to do all the testing. And they ended up taking blood from his foot. And I just thought it was so – I was there just having the biggest laugh, just 
<laughs> my mum's freaking out. My brother's having a laugh. I'm laughing, and they're taking blood from his foot. It was just so funny. But yeah, that was probably the first time we caught venomous snakes, I would say. Mm-hmm. And it didn't end very well. <laughs> no, no, not at all. You know, you're very smart, though, actually, to take this. I mean, because they always say if you get bit by a venomous snake, either take a photo or just make sure you can properly identify which snake bit you. And you, heck, you brought them in Coke bottles. Oh, honestly, from we bought the the book. I don't know if you've got it overseas, Reptiles and Amphibians of Australia. And oh. it's a real thick, it's like the Bible basically here. <laughs> so when everyone else was sort of into Pokemon and that type of thing, me and my brother were like, why are you trading Pokemon cards when you can be out finding wildlife in real life sort of thing? Um, so every time we went from one area to another, we would literally write down what species we can find in that certain area. And then when we got there, we'd tick off what we found while we were away there. So it became sort of an obsession with us. So we were always looking for reptiles. No matter what holiday it was, we were always out there doing it. Man, the biodiversity in Australia, it's almost, I mean, it's almost unparalleled. I mean, it's just incredible. I mean, your backyard is home to so many types of animals. Did you have like a holy grail animal that you wanted to catch? Like a holy grail snake or a lizard? I think in Australia, because it does vary so much with distribution. Sure. If you do a big drive, you can come into, you know, 50 different zones of different species like they might look different in a certain area mm-hmm. but my holy grail for a long time when i was a kid was the broad-headed snake which oh. is in sydney and okay. it lives probably a 200 kilometer radius of the sydney region in the sandstone up there okay um so that was my holy grail but after university um one of my professors actually invited me to be part of his broad-headed snake research so we were finding, and it was crazy because I'd never found one, but we were finding like 30 to 40 broad-headed snakes in a day and just like microchipping them, measuring them, taking scale samples. It was crazy. Like I did that for six years, so I reckon I might have found maybe 500 broad-headed snakes, and it was just amazing. And tell the audience a little bit more about the broad-headed snake if they're not familiar, because I'm going to be honest, I'm not really familiar with the. I mean, I've heard of the broad-headed snake, but it's not... You know, when I think Australia, I'm thinking of the King Browns, Red Belly Black Snake. I'm thinking of Saltwater Croc. So the broad-headed snake really isn't on my radar. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, so the broad-headed snake, that's Hoplocephalus bungaroides. So that's one of three members of the Hoplocephalus family. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a, a venomous snake, so it's an elapid front fang snake. Mm-hmm. Now, these guys are endangered, and I don't think they're endangered um, – so much in the areas that they still exist, it's more through habitat loss. So where there is no habitat, there will be no broad-headed snakes. But where they actually have habitat, they're still you know, relatively common in those areas. Um, the venom, as far as I'm concerned, it was considered not lethal until maybe 10 years ago. But then they did a bit more research into it. And if you get bitten by this snake which is often confused as a python because it looks very similar to the diamond python. Okay. If you, if you get bitten by this snake, uh, you actually bleed from every orifice. So you can cry blood, eardrum bleeds. You can go from, you know, uranus, your urethra. Oh and, my gosh. And you literally need tiger snake antivenom to get rid of that effect of the venom. So it's it's actually more far more venomous than people first thought. And- so 
were you catching them before they realized how venomous they were? So I wasn't catching them back then because I just couldn't get to the habitat without a driver's license. Sure. Um, but we we wear gloves actually when we do it because we come into contact with so many. It would just be silly for us to do it free handling them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're just a crazy species, so cool. And they've got the name broad-headed snake because when they get aggressive or defensive, um, they actually go into like an S similar to a brown snake and they flatten the top of their head. And it actually, you can see that it comes out in sort of angles. It's so cool um, how they react. Wow. Okay. And if someone's listening to this and they're terrified of snakes and they want to go to Australia, <laughs> what do you say to them? Because you're just talking about, you know, bleeding out of all your orifices. And I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm not going to lie. My, my, my butt kind of clenched when you were talking about that. So <laughs> yeah, you want to be a little bit careful, but to be honest with you, um, in 2019, I drove the whole way around Australia. Okay. Um, which it must've been 40,000 kilometers or something like that. And the only time I found snakes was when I was looking for them. So you really don't come into contact with snakes if you're just minding your own business, you know, walking on the beach or whatever. It's really only when you put your head down and say, all right, it's, you know, 25 degrees, humidity is good. It's just had a bit of rain. Let's go for a night drive. Maybe then you'll come into contact with the, the snakes. But other than that, you know, you have to sort of be really lucky as far as I'm concerned to come into contact with the snake. Yeah, and I always tell people they're not going to – I mean, they just want to be left alone. I, I mean, would you not agree? I mean, they don't want to They don't want to waste their venom on – That's it's valuable. It takes energy to create venom. Well, that's exactly right because um, – well, the red-bellied black snakes, and you know how I said I find 20 to 30. Uh-huh. There, will, might, there might be only one black snake out of 20 to 30 that won't go straight into the swamp if you go near it. Really? Yeah, so you'll get – there's a distance. I've figured it out. It's about maybe a meter to 1.5 meters. Uh-huh. Um, if you get past that distance, that snake will just go into the water. And it's similar to um, eastern brown snakes and rattlesnakes. They've got like a distance between what they consider to be safe. So you can cross you know, a, a path maybe a meter and a half to two meters away and the rattlesnake will start rattling its tail. Sure. If you go behind that distance, it'll stop rattling its tail because it doesn't feel threatened anymore. Um, with eastern browns, it's the same. If you cross that distance and they feel safe, they'll get in their defensive S position and they will just, that's when they'll let you have it. But if you're not past that, then it, they, they just sit there. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the most venomous snake in the world. The fear snake. Let's Is talk about yeah 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 let's talk about it okay sure um well there are some spots that you can find the fierce snake in outback new south wales and there are some in outback western queensland um they're very hard to come into contact with i've been out there five or six times looking and i've never found one and i've heard of people going out there like 15 20 times and never finding one Really? so in all fairness it's not the most venomous snake, you know, in encounters wise, like you're never going to get bitten by that unless you're actually looking for it or a keeper. Um, in my opinion, I think the Eastern Brown snake or the coastal Taipan would be far more dangerous to humans just because they live closer to, um, sort of civilization, if that makes sense. 
Okay. And how strong is the Fierce Snake's venom? As far as I'm aware, uh, judging by the LD50 tests, mm -hmm. I think they made it out that they can kill 100,000 mice with one drop of venom. Oh my goodness. But this is one, and I'm just thinking of the Fierce Snake, and I'm having flashbacks of watching the good old Crocodile Hunter shows, and he was out in the middle of the outback, and he was handling the Fierce Snake, of course, because it was Steve, but they weren't really <laughs> they weren't really aggressive. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, I, I feel like Taipans are quite smart snakes. They actually are very intelligent snakes. Um, and you see that a lot with coastal Taipans. Anyone that deals with them will tell you they're actually very intelligent snakes. So I think the fear snake would be quite similar in the fact that it would know when it's actually in danger and when it's not quite so threatened. So I think, how would I say, like you could essentially get close to a fear snake without it getting aggressive or defensive. However, if you did get too close, it's just going to dart down a, a hole or a crack in the soil anyway. So it'd be quite difficult for you to handle a wild fear snake, I would imagine. And the fierce snake is the same as an inland taipan? Yeah, that's exactly right, yeah. Okay. And I they've just... recently discovered a new species of taipan, not too recently, but in the last sort of five years, and it's called the Western Desert Taipan, and that's Oxyuranus temporalis. So that's the new species further west. Okay. And the second most venomous snake is the king brown snake, correct? No, no, it's the eastern brown snake. Oh, oh eastern brown, excuse me. Eastern, eastern brown, yeah, that's right, eastern. yeah. And that's a snake that's every like pretty much everywhere on the east coast so you can bump into them you know far north queensland mm -hmm. um outback new south wales they're very easy to bump i saw one on saturday last week so they're, they're quite common are they aggressive um the term that they usually use is very defensive like they mm. they're one snake and that whole brown snake sort of family does it um mm. They'll basically give you a warning and they'll get into their defensive mm -hmm. S position. And if you go further than that, then they'll throw strikes towards you. Okay. So open mouth strikes too. There's no um, fake biting. It's always an open mouth strike. What do you say to people who encounter them in their backyards? Well, I would definitely say, look, well, because I used to work for the snake catchers. Sure. So I used to always get call outs for supposed brown snakes and a lot of the time you'd get there and it would be a blue tongue lizard or something <laughs> but you know on top of that if you do see a snake any snake in your backyard i would say um you you're much more safe if you just shut your door bring your pets inside bring your kids inside and just leave it do its thing because within 10 15 minutes that snake will be gone anyway like that, that snake is just hunting, actively hunting. And within 10 minutes, it'll be in someone else's yard and they can worry about it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. And also it's, I mean, I stress this so much because we have rattlesnakes here and once again, people kill them and it's like, it's nature's natural pest control. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, if, if you've got a brown snake in your garden, if you've got a python in your roof, there's a good chance it's eating the rats that live in your garden. And if you've got red bellies, you know, it might be eating the frogs. A good point to make is that the red-bellied black snake actually eats the eastern brown snake. Not oh. all the time, but it can actually eat the eastern brown snake. So if you leave red-bellied black snakes in your garden, there's a good chance that eastern browns won't come in there. Because I, I actually had um, – I did a bit of research on the swamp that I, that I film at. 
And there's actually more often brown snakes when the red belly numbers go down. So when the swamp was dry, red bellies disappeared. Mm. But at the same time, people started camping, food came in, rodents came in, the browns came back. And I, I remember finding maybe 12 brown snakes on one lap of the swamp. Wow. But there was one red belly black snake. Now it's more like 20 red belly black snakes and one brown snake. Interesting. And th- we say the same yeah, we say the same about in California, California king snakes. People like to keep them around because they eat rattlesnakes. Yeah, see, um, like I think that's pretty incredible, really. If you've got kids, why not keep the less venomous one around and it'll just get rid of the more venomous one? Yeah, and I and like I said, I just and I feel like people get bit. Well, first of all, usually it's I I think I read a paper or something like this, but um, a long time ago that said usually it's like a male in their mid twenties and they're usually drinking alcohol and that really you know contributes for a lot of you know snake bites. And I think it's 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 when you mess with them is when you're more likely to get bit. Like it makes sense. Yeah, that's exactly right. And um. I think every year there's only two to three fatalities in Australia, even though we've got such a diverse range of species of venomous snakes. Wow. I think, yeah, about two to three people die each year. Yeah, yeah. And to be honest, um, as far as I'm aware, there's still no recorded fatalities from a red belly black snake bite, even though everyone in Australia is scared of them. Really? Okay. Yeah, which is pretty incredible, really. Yeah, yeah. I... I don't know. I mean, I would be a little more concerned and I'm not concerned because I'm, I mean, I think I'd have more respect for the big saltwater crocs you have. My goodness. Oh, I was up in Darwin um, not that long ago, actually. And I was catching water pythons and also looking for saltwater croc hatchlings. Um, And I was right next to a, a, because you've got to be croc safe up there. There's just so many crocs up that way. And I saw a hatchling croc just next to the water's edge, uh-huh. which I tried to grab with a net. And then it went down and I was like, okay, that's fair enough. Maybe don't go any closer to the water's edge. Uh, but then I got back in the car and a wallaby hopped up the hill with only one leg. <gasps> it sort of just hobbled up the hill with like missing the bottom half of its leg. And I just oh. thought, wow, there must be a croc right there that we just didn't see. Oh man, nature's brutal. Yeah. And like, just up there, there's so many saltwater crocodiles. Like, there's a, a do you know what a causeway is? It's just like a, when when it's high tide in the estuary system, uh-huh. it's below water. When it's low tide, you can drive through it, kind of thing. Okay. Um, there's this one that we went to in the Northern Territory, and every day the water rises, and as soon as it gets above the causeway, like 30 crocodiles cross it and then eat mullet off the other side. That uh, the the fish try and swim across it, and they just smash the fish on the way across oh my god it's incredible to watch like there was oh there must have been 25 crocs just sitting there waiting for the mullet to drop down dude i would love to see a wild saltwater croc i mean there's plenty of them for you to see (laughs) and they're they've been protected since the 70s right yeah that's right they almost got culled like to extinction basically and then they just said no no more and these days, if you see a huge croc, most of the time it means that it would have survived that culling period. But there's, you know, most of them, there's this croc tour that we did and there was a hundred-year-old croc called Brutus, I believe his name was. Oh, my God. And his, his head looked like a bit of petrified timber. He was that old, no teeth. He's just <sighs> incredible. And he follows the boat. 
like you just hang a bit of chicken off the side and he'll follow the boat going like 12 knots an hour. It's just amazing. Is Brutus still alive? Yeah, Brutus, he was there um, at the end of 2019. I saw him actually. And he's just a wild croc, 100 yeah, years old. Right. And there's also a new croc that moved into the territory called Dominator. Whoa. And I think he took one of Brutus's legs. So, yeah, it's crazy out there. Wow. Okay, so tell me how big in feet are saltwater. <laughs> um, they can get pretty yeah, big, like over like uh, 20 so, feet. So, yeah, probably about 20 feet. I think he's about 5.7 meters. Oh, my God. So that up around 20 feet long. Yeah, he's huge. And saltwater crocs are the largest crocodiles in the world. Ah, uh, yeah, that's right. I think Nile crocs are pretty much up there as well. Yeah, there's like they're almost neck and neck, but I feel like saltwater might take the the crown. Yeah, from I think what salty, I've heard. Salties are definitely the most angry crocs, I would say. Angry, yeah. So, and I I care for two American alligators, so I'm used to alligators. I saw them. Yeah, I was watching your stories actually. They're so cool, dude. They're so awesome, and it's funny because people, and especially on TikTok, people are like, "You're crazy. What are you doing inside there?" And it's like, alligators are so docile compared to crocodiles. Like, there's no way I would be <laughs> doing half the things I was doing if I was working with a saltwater croc. I mean, they're just oh, so yeah, much you, more you aggressive. Get away with it. No. But your ones look cute. I, th I feel like alligators look cute rather than angry or aggressive. Dude, aren't they cute? I just want to hug them, which I know you can't, but they're just like, ugh, they're just, I love them to death. They're like my family members. <laughs> and how, how big are those ones? They look pretty big. They're chunky. Uh, so Sonny, my male, is 10 and a half feet. He's almost 500 pounds. Okay. And Chompers is six and a half feet. And she is uh, almost 200 pounds. Far out. And yeah. what do you feed them? Just chickens or chicken? a range of stuff? Well, listen, Sonny doesn't like the feathers. So he gets store-bought <laughs> chicken. He gets, uh, he gets pork. We actually have, there is a pig farm here. Um, our friends own a pig farm. And they will donate stillborn piglets that don't make it. Or get crushed by the mom. I know that sounds so sad, but they'll, you know, find them dead in the pen and they'll freeze them and they'll give them to us. And so they'll eat those. They'll eat beef, frozen fish. We have live fish in there, but they don't, uh, they don't eat the fish, which I'm kind of happy. I, I like the fish. Uh, wow. You must fork out a fair bit of money most of the time to feed those guys. Yes. They eat two to three times a week. So a lot of it's donated though. We, they also eat whole uh, turkeys. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, I did actually bring a surprise down. Um, I brought my snake down that I can show you if you want to have a look at Heck it. Heck yeah, dude. Let's yeah, do it. I've got a, a, about 3.2 meter diamond python. So. Oh, show me. Heck yeah. yeah I'll give you a look. I brought her down, put her in a tub. Oh, sure. Oh, that's awesome. We always love when animals make appearances on the Animals to the Max podcast. Yeah. I mean, usually it's my dog that makes an appearance by barking at the Amazon person, but you know... Oh, what a beauty. So this is my snake. Oh, man. Oh. I used to keep a lot more wildlife, but this is the only one I've got these days. Oh, I've that's... 11 years old now. She is beautiful. What's her name? I called her Cleo. Cleo. Oh, my God. The head. So just, just, I mean, looking at this beautiful snake, it's black, it's white, it's spotted. It's almost looks like checkered diamonds. It is 
a beautiful snake, man. Yeah, she's super cool. She doesn't eat too much anymore because she did all her growing already. Yeah. This so, is a really big example of a diamond python. Like in the wild, you're lucky to find them over 1.4 meters. This one's like 3.2. Dude, those are, if, if I'm correct, I haven't been online looking, shopping for snakes at all for a long time, but I'm pretty yeah, sure either. those are those are pretty expensive, I think, in the States. In the States, they would be expensive, but in Australia, they're only like 250 bucks. But in the states, wouldn't that wouldn't that snake be like I think a few grand, right? Oh yeah, I would assume so. You guys are more ball pythons and that type of thing. Yeah. Oh my god, that's a beautiful snake, man. I'll just let her run run around for a bit. Yeah, <laughs> super friendly. Oh, and I'm sure you've caught those out in the wild. Oh yeah, these are one of the most common snakes. I was catching maybe eight foot ones of these when I was about eight years old. Were they a lot more aggressive than the scrub python, or how was that? No, 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 no. These guys are the most placid ones you'll ever come into contact. Oh, the most placid, larger python in Australia, I would say. You wow. still get Stimson's pythons and pygmy pythons that they will never touch you. They're, they're harmless, completely harmless. Dude, I'm so jealous of your childhood. Like I grew up in Idaho and I was catching frogs and snakes, but my stuff was like the size of maybe a, maybe I don't, the biggest snake I would catch is probably like a three foot gopher snake. Have you seen those? I have, I have definitely seen them. Yeah, but nothing They're like super a cool though. Yeah, but I would trade them in for a beautiful diamond python. I caught a seven foot red belly the other day. That was pretty exciting. Oh my god, those are beautiful. And you said those are always found near water. Um, if you've got a swamp or a water system, fresh water, mm. you're very likely to find red belly black snakes because they eat the frogs. They love frogs. They love them. Now, do you want to make sure that Cleo doesn't get away? I don't want her to... Are you okay? No, nah, she's all right. I'm, should... I'm looking at it now. Okay. I want to make sure, dude. I've had snakes get loose in a variety of different places, and it's not good. Oh, this this room's relatively safe. She'll just crawl around on the floor, so all good. Oh, nice, <laughs> nice, nice. So can we talk... Can we go back about crocodiles really quick? You mentioned... Yeah, sure. You mentioned croc safety. This fascinates me because here in America, yes, we have the American crocodile in Florida, but they are not as aggressive as the saltwater croc. They're not as common. So I'm curious, like, what is croc safety? And are crocodiles found everywhere in Australia? Do you have to watch out everywhere? What is that like? Um, no. So croc safety is basically they put warning signs up everywhere that is considered a, a hazard spot for crocodiles, which is pretty much everywhere in the Northern Territory. So up north... Okay you're a good chance of seeing a crocodile if you go out at night with like a spotlight or whatever. Okay. Um, they aren't everywhere though. So I would say you wouldn't have, you know, Queensland on the East coast. Okay. Yep. So probably about halfway up Queensland is where you'll start seeing crocodiles. Okay. Then they go all the way to the point of Australia and then they go West all the way to, as far as I'm aware, the Kimberley region. Okay. And you, and you can find them, all throughout that whole range, they're they're pretty common, really. Are they not on the west side? They are, yeah, but not too far down. So it's all, almost to the top of the west coast as well. Okay, so they're not really southern. No, they, they prefer the warmer climates, yeah. The warmer climates. Okay, and you have two different types of crocs. You have the freshwater and the salties? Yeah, I much prefer to find the freshwater crocs. They're much more fun to play around with. Yeah. Um. Yeah, like you can actually, if you can get close enough, you can legitimately handle a freshwater croc 
just make sure you don't put your hands anywhere near its teeth okay. because they've got very sharp, pointy teeth. Similar to like, have you seen the gharials? Oh, yes. They've got very pointy teeth for fish, um, just similar to that. Yeah, so if they do a, a spin and you're holding onto their jaw, it'll tear you to bits. Oh, man. What's the largest croc you've ever caught? Largest croc I've ever caught. I don't usually go much beyond sort of a meter, to be honest with you. So three feet? Because I don't... Uh, so three, three feet, three, three and a half feet, something like that. Yeah, I just, because I'm not that experienced with crocodiles, like I was never a, a, a zookeeper or lived up north consistently to actually mm -hmm. handle them a lot. Um, yeah, just to be safe, I'll only go sort of that size. Yeah, and I bet even at three feet, I bet a saltwater croc is just crazy, man. Yeah, definitely. Like, like they've got a, a lot of strength. Like if you've caught a, a goanna before, yep. they're strong. Crocs are like twice as strong. Yeah, that's crazy, man. I, oh, that's so exciting. I just, oh man, I, I, my dream is one day to go to Australia up north uh, and just see just saltwater crocs and you know be in that area. Do they? I mean, it, it, do they kill a lot of people or is it pretty? slim like the snakes i believe that it's not that many people okay. but in saying that when i was in the northern territory two years ago the night before i went to check out those crocs eating the mullet there was a dead boy there was a boy taken from that same crossing oh my god so um i think it was high tide and he said i'll cross it anyway and while he was halfway, a croc just took him and went off with him. Oh, so my. Super, super bad time for us because it was literally, I think, the night before. That didn't make you nervous at all? Yeah, you could pretty easily see that where the crocs were sitting, there was sort of rocks blocking the other points where, where, they, where you couldn't see. So, yeah, basically you could see all the crocodiles that were coming across and they were all crossing in the middle sort of area. Damn, man, that's so unfortunate. And that was it. Was it a little boy who? Uh, yeah, um, I think it was a maybe a little Aboriginal boy. I think. Oh my god, what a god awful way to go! But once again, super rare in croc safety. You just are, you just don't go in. I'm assuming that would be one of the things. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. In those sorts of areas, you've got to make sure that you don't go in. Yeah. And I'm sure if you're near water, it's murky. Like you probably don't get too close to the bank, right? Yeah, definitely. And it's especially um, really important not to do it if you're a fisherman, because a lot of fishermen get cocky and they try and catch the barramundi from the riverbank. So let's talk about an animal that I recently just saw on your Instagram. It is an animal I would love to meet in person. And that's an echidna. Oh, echidnas are crazy. And, and you always see them. Like if you're driving at night, very often you'll see an echidna about to cross the road or in the middle of the road. Really? So you always see them? I, I see a lot of them personally, but there's so many people I bump into that are like, I've never seen one in the wild. It, maybe because they're nocturnal? Yeah, it's, it's almost, I go back to that situation where it's like, if you're not actively looking for them, you might just not see them. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Man, that'd be amazing. Have you ever seen their relative, the platypus in the wild ever? Yes. Yes, I have. Really? But platypus, um, they are much more elusive. Like you might see its bill come up for a breath of air. Okay. And then it'll be straight back down underwater. 
Okay. You'll very rarely actually get to see them. You know, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen one on land in real life. No. I mean, with them. really? Yeah. In like the little freshwater rivers, I've actually put snorkels on and swum down and seen where they're going and stuff. How? Yeah, foraging underwater. Yeah. It's really interesting to watch them. Are they pretty common in Australia? No, nah, they're getting much more um, uncommon these days. Just with uh, habitat destruction, you know, our rivers are getting dammed, all of that sort of stuff is just contributing to their demise. Oh, my God. It's so sad. And by the way, platypus and uh, echidnas, they're um, monotremes, so they lay eggs, mammals. Yeah, it's, it's unreal. If you ever see a platypus, like I'm sure you've seen one in real life, but if you see one in the wild, it just looks like it shouldn't exist. Yeah. It's like a duck, beaver. I don't even know how to explain it, to be honest. They're just so weird looking. Dude, I saw my first platypus in person. Um, and back in August, I went to the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. And it's the only place in the United States that you could see a platypus. Is that right? Yeah. So that's when you were like, I'm sure you've seen one in person. No, I, that was the only one I saw. Yeah, I think they have two. And the only ones in the U.S., why is that? Um, Are they just hard to export from Australia? Uh-huh. And they're becoming more and more rare. Um, and I, yeah, the import-export uh, laws. But the San Diego Zoo, and I believe I heard through the grapevine that the San Diego Zoo traded some okapi for platypus. That's, that's what my sources tell me. It is not confirmed <laughs> by the San Diego Zoo. Oh, far out. Yeah, yeah. Um... And I don't know if you knew also that they have a venomous spur at the back, the males. Heck yeah. And heck yeah. And everyone I've heard from that has either known someone who got stung by it or uh, has been stung by it themselves, they say it's the worst pain you could ever experience. They say they want to cut their arm off. It's that bad. Really? So my, my friends who work at the zoo, they told me the platypus keepers, like their habitat. It's like, they take it so seriously as a venomous animal that it's like the same protocols as how they take care of a King Cobra is how they take care of a platypus. Yeah. I've heard bad things about that venom. I've heard it's just so painful. It's not deadly though, to where you're going to die. Right. As far as I'm aware, I don't think anyone's died from it. I'm pretty sure it's more like a, just a deterrent type thing. Yeah. I, man, I thought they were so cool. And if you're listening to this in the States, I do encourage you to check out the safari park. It was so, dude, they're, they're really small. Like it was like the size of a pineapple. Yeah. They're not that big actually. Um, I have seen like a large male one was like, what is that? Like a foot long sandwich. Maybe yeah, bigger. almost like a subway footlong, but fatter. Maybe like two subway footlongs in width. Yeah, these are... Um, you have subway in Australia? Yeah, yeah. Really? It's like my favorite food when I'm on the road. <laughs> oh my God. I just had subway for lunch today. What's your favorite sandwich? Uh, Italian BMT, I reckon. No way. We get the spicy Italian. Is that the same thing? I don't know, man. It sounds pretty close. I think your menus are different. Even your McDonald's is different. How, how is the McDonald's different? I don't know. Do you have the macaws? What are those? It's like a burger with beetroot and stuff on it. With beetroot? No, beetroot. You know, the pink, pink, um, it comes in a tin. It's like pink tin. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> really? What is it called? Uh, beetroot. Beetroot? Oh, beets. Beets. Is that what you guys call them? Yeah, beets. The nasty things that are red that stain your teeth. That's the one. You like those on your burger? Yeah, people put them on all of our burgers, like burger with the lot, 
I, I guess your your menus are definitely heaps different to ours though. Like, yeah, you the, had the rib witch or whatever it is way before we got it. The McRib, I wouldn't touch that with a ten foot pole. Nah, that's just ground up terrible parts of whatever. <laughs> oh yeah, I wouldn't recommend the McRib. Um, as you can tell, McDonald's is not a sponsor. Really, Beats. So they put Beats. I think I've heard that. Uh, yeah, so it's pretty. I don't know. I don't go to Macca's very often. No, I don't either. Oh, that's it. But they have good fries. I wonder if your fries are as good as ours. I'm going to say no. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's like soggy. Our ones are soggy and gross. Oh, that's not good. Do you guys have put onions on your burgers there? Yeah. All right. Do I don't know. I, I mean, we, we do. I don't like them. <laughs> oh, that's pretty funny. Yeah. Anyway, so back on to, okay. So you said you've seen two uh, big male platypus, the size of a couple subway footlongs. That's amazing. If, where are they found in Australia? Just so I can get a visual. Okay. So they're more Eastern, like East coast. Okay. And they sort of go into the mountainous ranges, like the blue mountains, uh, the snowy mountains. And they also go as far down as Tasmania. So the really? best place to find platypus, mm-hmm. in my opinion, would be Tasmania. You see a lot more down there. The habitat's still pretty pristine. Okay. Um, there's no foxes down there. So, you know, that sort of thing can make a big impact on them. Sure, sure. And speaking about Tasmania, can we just talk briefly about the Tasmanian devil and your work with them? Because a lot of my listeners are fascinated with the, with the Tassie devils. Yeah, sure. So um, the Tassie Devils are now struggling with, if you haven't heard, the DFTD, which is Devil Facial Tumor Disease. Um, there's been a lot of work gone into researching that, but only recently has sort of progression happened in that area. So the guys at the Reptile Park created a place called Aussie Ark. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. Yeah, I'm trying to get and them on actually... the show. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure they'll, they'll do it. Like a lot of those guys are really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, just very busy. <laughs> so actually, that's, I mean, just so listeners know, cause we've had so many people request Ozzy Ark is we've had, uh, we had an interview lined up and they literally were like the day of, we're like, we're so busy. Like, I'm so sorry. So we're trying to reschedule, but yeah, they're just busy. I get it. Now nah, you'll catch them eventually. Sure. It just takes a bit of, bit of time. I would say. Sure. Um, yeah. So they're working on, um, re- like making an insurance population in, um, this pristine wilderness that they've bought up in Barrington tops, mm-hmm. which is sort of North coast, New South Wales. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically if something were to happen to the remaining population in Tasmania, they would release, sorry, release this insurance population back into Tasmania. Um, so the ones that I was working on, we were setting 40 traps per day when we were using, um, as gross as it sounds, roadkill kangaroo as bait mm. and every day would check the 40 traps. And very often would have about 20 out of 40 traps um, taken. So would have 20 devils to go through each day and collect data off. But unfortunately, it was sort of maybe 18 or 17 or 18 were affected by the devil facial tumor disease. And how do they get the devil facial tumor disease? Is it with contact with other devils? Yep. So breeding season is the time that they spread DFTD with each other. Mainly they are sort of aggressive little animals and they do fight with each other. But I think the average life expectancy for a devil before the tumor disease was five years. Now they only live through one breeding season. And if they spread it during that breeding season, they'll pass on the next year. So about two years. 
And it's it's a horrific, painful disease, correct? Doesn't it affect everything from their sight? I mean, I just I've I've read about it. It's horrific. Yeah, it's really horrible to look at as well. Um, we found one that had a lump so big on its on its chest, so where the blaze would have been on its chest. Sure. And it, it couldn't run with its two front legs, so that was one that we actually had to euthanize. Oh my god. And yeah. how did this begin, Dave, devil facial tumor disease? Where do they get this? There's a lot of sort of debate into this area. Some people say sort of fox baits and some people say, you know, human, just human pollution and stuff like that. But personally, I just think it was maybe an environmental thing. And and, and maybe one devil got some, oh, I don't know enough about it really to, to tell you, but um yeah, a lot of debate in that sort of area. Yeah, 100%. I totally get it. Well, we have uh, been on for about 45 minutes. Will you join me for our after show for Patreons only? Yeah, sure. Sure, oh. no worries. Okay, now can you let our listeners now uh, know where they can find you once again? And I'll include the links in the show notes. Yeah, no worries at all, man. So if you want to watch some cool videos, I would say follow my Instagram, which is Aussie underscore wild. Um, my TikTok that I only just started using, but somehow it boomed straight away. Um, that was Aussie Wild One, and that's oh. my TikTok. Oh. Um, also, keep an eye out for my pilot episode that I'm going to release on YouTube in the next couple of weeks, and that's going to be called Aussie Wild Presents Overkill, and that'll have echidnas, red belly black snakes, um, small-eyed snakes, broad-headed snakes, pretty much the whole shebang, but the whole point of it is overkill so i'll use entertainment with a lot of snakes rather than just one so you'll probably have a good time watching that one i would imagine oh that's awesome and i will include the links in the show notes man you're killing it you're killing it i thank you so much for coming on the show and audience if you want to hang out with lachlan and i afterwards join us on animals to the max uh, patreon.com slash animals to the max because we're going to have an after show so thank you so much appreciate it yeah, no worries, man. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and family. Also, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. It really helps me out. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, if you want to email me personally, head on over to CorbinMaxi.com. And if you haven't already, check out our social channels. You can follow me at Corbin Maxi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time.